Welcome to the Pathlight Ministries podcast. We're glad you've chosen to study God's Word with us. I'm Pastor Chip Anthony, and here's today's message. This morning, we're going to continue our study on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're several weeks into this. There we go. Here we go. Uh, we've been looking at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Is, is anybody ready to do it without looking at it? Okay, then we'll do it this way. You can cover your eyes if you've got it memorized, and everybody else, y'all, y'all can look, all right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. All right, so we have covered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Today we're going to look at faithfulness. And faithfulness, um, you know, with each of these, what we've done is we've sort of started in Galatians, and then we've gone back into other places in Scripture um, and we've said, well, this, this is an exhibition of, of God's faithfulness. We can see God's faithful, or God's, you know, God's love is characterized in this way, or joy, or peace, or patience, and all of them. Uh, so for faithfulness, as we were thinking about uh, the ways that God's faithfulness, what, what story would you choose to show the faithfulness of our Father? And we decided that the best way to show the faithfulness of the Father is not just to tell one story, but to tell them all. Because in the beginning, there was a garden, and there was Adam, and there was Eve. And, and they lived together, and they lived with God, and they walked with him in the, in the garden in the cool of the evening. And they had a relationship with God unlike anybody would ever have with God again. But at a certain point, sin entered into the world, and they did the one thing that he told them not to do. And because of that one thing, that sin, they were separated from that point forward. But not separated completely, not separated forever. Because God was faithful to them. Because God was faithful to them that he, he continued to provide and he continued to, to care for them with you know, some restrictions put in place. But God was faithful even when Adam and Eve were not. And Adam begot Seth and Seth begot Enosh and Enosh begot Kalel and a whole other Lamech and then to Noah. And then in Noah we found a man who although this entire generation was faithless. Even though his entire generation, there was not a righteous person to be found among them. In Noah, God found one who was faithful. And and that one man was so faithful that he built a boat for 120 years. Men, if your wives ever tell you that you haven't finished that bathroom fast enough, right? You haven't finished that remodel project fast enough, remind them of Noah. And say, if it gets done before 120 years, there should be no complaining. Right, 120 years he labored making a boat that would soon be the smelliest boat ever. But 120 years he was faithful and God was faithful to Noah so that he carried him through the massive storm, so that he carried him through the rising waters. He carried Noah and his family through so that they could be the second start for all creation. And God was faithful. And even when Noah was faithful, even when no one else was faithful. And Noah begat and begat and begat until eventually there was a man named Abram. And God called Abram out of, out of the, the, the land of Ur. And he said that he's going to give him a new land. He's going to take him to a, a land of, of promise. And that Abram, even though he was barren, even though he was without children, he said, I'm going to make you the father of nations. And, and he did that. And, and Abram was faithful to go to a land that he had never been, to a land that he had never seen. It was faithful to a wife that was barren who had never had a child. And when she was told that she would have a child, she laughed. And yet out of her laughter sprung Isaac, a child. And Abram was so faithful as to change his name to Abraham and so faithful even to offer up his son that even his, own, his son, he would not hold back from the God that has been faithful to him. And Abram, Abraham proved himself to be faithful 
and Isaac unto Jacob until his, his people were found in the land of Egypt, provided for in Pharaoh's house because of the work of Joseph. That they eventually found themselves falling out of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's favor until they had to be brought out of the land of Egypt. And in Exodus, we see a God that is faithful to deliver his people, a God that is faithful to hear the cries of his people and to remember his promise to them. And he brings them out of, out of Pharaoh's land. He brings them out of the land of Egypt through miraculous circumstances. And even after they've been brought out of Pharaoh's land, even after they've been released from the bonds of slavery, when they get into the wilderness, they complain. Oh, they complain and they whine and they moan. So much so that when Moses is talking to God, he says, Behold, they are a stiff-necked people. Right? Stiff-necked people. And that's an insult. Right? Coming from the south, that may not sound so stiff-necked. That seems like, yes, you should be. No. It, 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 Abraham, Moses is saying, these people that you've led, given me to lead, they are hard to deal with. You know some stiff-necked people? These people were stiff-necked people. They were just, at every turn, at every opportunity, they turned away from God. At every opportunity, they cried out to go back to Pharaoh's house. But God was faithful to them. God was faithful to them, and, and he, he gave them the law. He gave them a law in, in numbers that's so beautiful, so, such a perfect uh, picture. In fact, our youth recently, when they, just, when they did a study on the law of God, Michael explained it to them that it's like a, like a stained glass window. Did he explain it this way? It's like a stained glass window, and it's, all, it's intricate, and it's detailed, and it's all, it all comes together to make a perfect picture. And if you break any one part of it, you've broken the entirety of it. And he makes this law. And this law, not only to provide for, so that people would be faithful to him, but would be faithful to each other. He provides a way in, in Leviticus 19 so that the law requires that when they harvest their fields, that they leave the corners uncut to provide gleanings for the poor. And God is faithful, not just to his people, but to the foreigners. Not just to the wealthy people, but to the poor, to the widow, to the orphan. God is faithful to them, and all he requires is that the poor get up and, and do the work themselves. That they get out in those fields and they glean, they pull from the corners what's been left for them. But he provided a way, because even in the midst of his law, which gets such a bad reputation, which gets such a reputation of being hard and being you know, mean and so impossible to follow, even in the midst of this so hard law, he leaves a way. So that the poorest, the destitute, the most outcast in society could be provided for because he is faithful. In Numbers, we see the story of Joshua and Caleb and the other spies going into the, into the promised land where they will be delivered from this, this torturous time of, of wandering in the desert. And, and when, they, when they go, Joshua and Caleb, they say, there are giants in the land, but our God will, will deliver them to us. And the other ten spies, they, they don't. And they, they deny and for 40 more years, the 40 years are going to wander in the desert. But God is faithful to them. Even in the face of their doubts, God is faithful to them. Even when they say that these giants are greater than the power of our God. Even though they just saw what God did to Pharaoh's army. Even though they saw what God did to Pharaoh's house and the land. And the, even after seeing all of that, they still doubted that God was able to conquer the giants in the land. And still... God is faithful to them. In Joshua, we see that God is giving them the promised land. 
And in Joshua, we see the most ridiculous battle plan ever, right? I've never been to, you know, like a military academy, but I would almost guarantee they, didn't, they do not study the Battle of Jericho to get their game plan, right? If, if any, you know, uh, you know if, if Colin Powell or some general went on the, the television and says, here's what we're going to do to capture this land. We're going to march around the land day after day after day, and then we're going to blow horns at them, right? We'd be like, fire this guy. Right, we, this guy needs to you know, be impeached or, or whatever. We've got to get rid of this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yet that was the plan that God set forward for the children of Israel. And they were faithful to do it. And you've got to wonder how much grumbling was there as they're walking around that city. Right? How much grumbling? Oh, we're walking around the city. People of Jericho are laughing at us. They're throwing stuff at us. We're just going to keep walking around this city until we blow horns at them. But they did it. They were faithful to follow God's plan for them. And God was faithful to deliver the city to them. And then in the book of Judges, we see this cycle start up. And it's already, we've already seen glimpses of it as they're wandering through the, the wilderness. We see this cycle where, where God will have the people and the people will be faithful for a time. And then a generation will pass and they, they'll lose their faith. They'll lose their faith in God and, and they'll begin to doubt and they'll begin to move astray and then they'll be led into, into to slavery or they'll be led into oppression at, at the hands of, of different people, the Edomites or the Moabites. And, and then God will raise up a judge who is faithful and that judge will free them from their bondage. And for a generation you'll see that the people are faithful again until a generation later they fall away from their faith. But throughout it, God makes the point that if you are faithful to me, that good things will happen for you. If you're not, bad things are going to happen to you. But regardless of whether you're faithful or whether you're not faithful, that God remains faithful. Through all of the ups and downs and ins and outs, God remained constant. God was always faithful to his people. And in the book of Ruth, we see a beautiful story. Hundreds of years after that law was written. In the book of Ruth, we see this woman who is, you know, Naomi, who's just destitute. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And so she goes back to her homeland, and her, her daughter-in-law comes with her, Ruth. And, and they decide that they can make it by harvesting those corners of the field. That they know the, the law of God provides for the widow, for the poor, for the outcast. And so they go back to Naomi's land and Naomi's people and they're going to make it there and through a pretty extraordinary series of, of events God provides not just for their daily needs of eating but God finds Ruth a new husband a faithful husband and God uses Ruth as an integral part of his plan hundreds of years after the law is written it comes to fruition in the story of Ruth because God is God is faithful to his people. In 1 Samuel, we see a story of, of Hannah, who so desperately wants a son that, that she prays for the son daily, that she would have a child. And when God gives her the child, she gives the child back to God. And we get, we get those echoes of that story of, of Abraham and Isaac. We see one that says that, that they're going to be faithful to God so that even when God has given them the, the thing, the person, the relationship that they wanted the most, that they're not going to hold it back from God. In 2 Samuel, we see a king who would be anointed. 
And he would be a leader of the people that he would be called a man after God's own heart. And we see him come to be king through a line that goes back to that poor little Moabitess woman, that poor little stranger in a strange land who was picking up the gleanings of the field in the corner, Ruth. And we see again that God makes things work together for good because he is faithful to his people. In Psalms, in Psalms that king would say that your faithfulness your faithfulness is there for all generations. It endures to all generations. It established the earth and it stands fast. So that David recognized that God is faithful. David, who wasn't always faithful. Not always faithful to spouses. Not always faithful to his army. Not always faithful to his people. Not always faithful to God. David, who was not always faithful. He recognizes that in spite of his lack of faithfulness, God is always faithful. In Job, we have a story of a man who loses everything. He loses everything except for his friends. And after you hear the way his friends talk to him, he probably wishes that he had lost them. Amen. Right? Probably wishes that he had lost them and maybe found some better friends. Right? But in face of losing everything, when everyone just says, curse God and die, he's, he remains faithful. And that's hard. That's really hard for us. As we deal with loss, it's so seems so easy to blame. When we deal with, with illness and sickness, when we deal with poverty, when we deal with all of the things that ail us and all of the things that ailed him, it's very easy to just blame God and grow bitter. But we see in Job that he didn't, that he remained faithful. And as faithful as Job was, God was more faithful. And he restored to Job even more than he had before, even more than he was before. In the Proverbs, we hear from the son of David, Sol Solomon. And Solomon says that God's steadfast love, that we, we should bind it around our necks and that we should write it on our hearts. He recognized how faithful God was. In the book of 1 Kings, we see a story of Elijah, the prophet of God, who is running for his life. And he finds shelter. He finds comfort from a widow. And this widow takes him in, and the widow is facing death and starvation herself, and that she says that she's going to make their last cake. She has a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She's going to make their last little bit of bread, and then she and her son are just going to starve to death. But when Elijah shows up, she says, you can have it instead. She was faithful to God. She saw God's servant and said, I'm going to be faithful to God, and I'm going to take care of this servant and as faithful as she was, God was more faithful. And he provided for her throughout the drought, the drought. He provided for her so that even when her son died, he was brought back to life. God, as faithful as she was, God was more faithful. In 2 Kings, we see the story of, of Hezekiah. We see the story of Hezekiah, who is, uh, he is remarked in Scripture as being a good king. But that doesn't mean that he was a smart king. In fact, let me, let me just tell you a brief little bit of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is delivered from death. He pleads to God that he knows he's dying. He has a boil and he's dying from it. And Isaiah comes to him and, and says, you're, you're going to live, but understand, you know, you're going to live and you'll, you'll have 15 more years. And Hezekiah is grateful. And in the, midst of, in the midst of his illness, a messenger from the king of Babylon shows up to give him a gift. You know, sort of like, a, I guess, a get well soon gift. I don't, I don't know if it was flowers 
or what. But you think, how thoughtful is the king of Babylon that while King Hezekiah was sick, that he would send a gift. Well, when his, when his ambassador is there with Hezekiah, Hezekiah, being friendly, being hospitable, takes his ambassador and shows him all of the riches of Israel. He says, here, look at my silver, look at my gold, look at my spices, look at my armor. Let me tell you about our defenses. Let me tell you about our battle plans. And then, of course, he goes back to Babylon and he says, King, guess, guess where we can find a whole lot of gold and silver? And, and when the prophet comes to Hezekiah, he says, you're going to have peace for the rest of your reign, but your sons are going to be let off in chains because you are dumb. He doesn't actually, that's not quoted from scripture, but the implication is there. He said, you, you, you showed all of your wealth you showed off your wealth, and it's all going to be taken from your sons. And still, you know, sometimes, sometimes I need that story of Hezekiah. Because sometimes there's times when it's not, it's not so much an issue of sin, but just maybe I've done something really dumb. Or maybe I've just done something just utterly foolish. That's, probably, that's a more biblical word. I've just done something foolish. And God says, you know what? Even though you're foolish, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to be faithful to you in spite of yourself. We need a God that's like that. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon struggling with these issues of life. And, and he looks at all of these areas of life and he says, you know, to, the, to man, this, the life seems meaningless. And in spite of the meaningless of, of all of life, throughout it, God is faithful. In the Song of Solomon, we see the picture of a, of a lover whose mind and eyes will drift to no other. I'll just put it that way. That's the, that's the G-rated version of Song of Solomon. Um, but in, even in Song of Solomon, we see that although human lovers can be faithful, that God is more faithful. That, that human love is, is just a glimpse at the great love that our God has for us. In Joel, things start getting nasty. In Joel, we see locusts come and they ravage the entire land. And this is what it says in Joel. I'm going to have to... In Joel, the, what the swarm of locusts did not eat, the great locusts ate. And what the great locusts didn't eat, the young locusts ate. And what the young locusts didn't eat, other locusts came and ate. <laughs> I love it. I, love, I mean, just horrible. There is nothing to eat. The people are destitute. These, this force completely outside of their control. It wasn't because of corruption. It wasn't because... It, this force out of their control comes and wipes everything out. And in the midst of this horrible thing, Joel looks at the people and says, God's going to provide for you. God's going to provide for you. There's going to come a time when the Spirit of God will move in this people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will... Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will have visions. God has not given up on you. You may think he has, but God's more powerful than the locust. God is greater than these forces of nature. In the book of Jonah, we see one who sends a, a message of, of hope and deliverance to a people that he despises. And in spite of the message that he sent, he, he gives it. And when God relents in sending calamity, he's angry. He's upset because he says, I knew that you were a God who is merciful and slow to anger, abounding in love. And, and the way Jonah says it, he says it like it's a bad thing. But it's not a bad thing. Because even though the Ninevites were not God's people, God showed them his mercy. Because 
our God is faithful. Even though Jonah didn't want to be faithful, even though Jonah did just about everything in his power to not be faithful and to run away from the place that God had called him, even though he tried that, God was faithful. God was faithful to Jonah, and God was faithful even to the Ninevites. In Amos, we hear that justice is going to roll down like a river. And Amos paints a picture of of how bad things are in the northern kingdom. Amos is this country guy from the south. He's a, you know, a farmer, and he grows fig trees, and, and he goes up to the north. And up in the north at this time, things were going really well. Their economy was booming. Everybody had work and gold, and things are going great. And Amos says, you don't know how bad things are going to get. And he paints a picture of how bad things are going to get from there. And one of my favorite parts is he says, things are going to get so bad from you, you're going to be like a man who sees a lion, and he runs away from the lion only to meet a bear. Wow, that's bad. When you run away from a lion and run into a bear, you know, I think that's the ancient Israeli way of saying between a rock and a hard place, right? Between a lion and a bear. It doesn't go as well quite in English, but, right? He says that's how bad things are going to be from you. You're going to turn from one to another, and it's just going to be horror all around you. But inside, inside of that message, at the very end, he says, but there's hope for you. There's hope. If you'll return to the God of your fathers, if you'll be faithful to God, he will be faithful to you. This calamity, this destruction that's coming for you, he'll relent in sending it. You just have to be faithful to him. And we know that that they weren't. That they did not relent from their wickedness. They did not turn back to God. And that judgment, that calamity, it came upon them. In the book of Micah, God reveals the wickedness of his people. But in spite of the wickedness of his people, Micah has this promise that there is not going to be all, you know, destruction and chaos and disorder for them, but that eventually there will come a prince of peace. What a wonderful idea. All around you there is war, there's rumors of war, all of your allies, everyone who's supposed to be your friend is turning against you, but, but there's coming one who will be a prince, not of war, not of bloodshed. He'll be a prince who will rule in peace. In the book of Isaiah, he has the writings on the wall for the kingdom of Judah. It's clear what's coming. And Isaiah says that in spite of the impending doom, that God's going to leave a remnant. God's not going to abandon or forsaken you completely. In the book of Hosea, we see a man who's married to an unfaithful woman. A man who is married to a woman who leaves him at every opportunity. And we see in this the picture of God and and his people. That God is a faithful husband and that his people are an unfaithful wife. And we run away from him every chance we get. And in Hosea, not only is Hosea faithful to marry her and to stay faithful in marriage to her, but that at, at a point her life reaches such a low point that she finds herself on the auction block being sold into slavery. And the woman that is rightfully his, the woman... to whom his soul is wed, his other half. When she stands on the auction block, he pays the price for her. And we see in that the picture of of God's faithfulness for us. That although we're his because he made us, and we're his because he'll pay pay the price for us. In the book of Nahum, which isn't one we get to a whole lot, We see that although God was loving to the Ninevites, although God relented in sending calamity to the people of Nineveh back in the book of Jonah, although he didn't destroy them then, God's justice is not mocked. God's justice is not mocked. And the people of Nineveh 
they got what was coming to them because their, their turning from their wickedness did not last. And we see that God is faithful to his people that eventually the enemies of God will pay the price. And, and sometimes we need to know that. Not just for ourselves, but sometimes we need to understand that, that, those, that the people who oppress us, you know, understand we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to pray for those who persecute us, for those who stand against us. We, we pray for them. But it, it's good to know that, that God has, has our back, that God answers for us. Sometimes um, as I, I deal with, with people, lost people, um, I'll, I'll, sometimes I will get treated badly. I'll just say badly. Um, just short of getting spit in the face. And, and I pray for those people. And, and I know that, that I don't have to wrestle with them. I don't have to strive with them. I don't have to, to fight them in, in these human ways. Because God will take care of it. That God's justice in the end. That God is just. As much as He is loving, He is just. And everyone will answer for the things they do in this life. Amen. Sometimes we need to know that. In the book of Zephaniah, we hear again and again and again about the day of the Lord, of how it is coming, but that the righteous, the righteous should not fear. And they should not fear because God is faithful. That the righteous should fear nothing because God is faithful, but the unrighteous should fear nothing except for God because he is the thing that they should fear the most. Because he's faithful to his people. He is faithful to his people. And he is faithful to justice. In the book of Habakkuk, we see a world turned upside down by evil. And as Habakkuk is struggling, as he's trying to, to understand what he has seen in his home, what he has seen in his city, he has this, this one thing that says that the righteous will live by faith. Even when all around them is going crazy, even when everyone around him is losing his mind, Habakkuk says, the righteous will, look, will live by faith. They will believe in something that they cannot see, and they will live through that. And their righteousness will endure because of their, their faith. In the book of Jeremiah, we see that because God is faithful, he's been patient. He's been patient with the people because that cycle that started in Judges... That cycle of rejecting God, of being unfaithful and having a judge brought up and returning to faithfulness, that cycle has continued now for 900 years. Through 900 years, God has been faithful and God has been patient with his people. Let this be a lesson to us because there are some, some people in, probably in your life that they, they want to sort of play that, that game of I'm going to be just faithful enough. Sometimes we use the term nominal Christian or Christian in name only. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to do a little bit, but I'm not going to commit completely. I'm going to do a little bit. I'm not going to com commit completely. I'm going to say that I'm a Christian. I'm going to say that I believe, but there's going to be a part of my heart that I save for sinful things, a part of my heart that I save just for myself, a part of my heart that I'm going to save to please myself and myself only. And so they, they play this back and forth game. And, and God's patient. God's patient with the people for 900 years. We will not get that long. Our lifetime does not allow for 900 years of rejection and returning and rejection and returning. There comes a point where God's patience runs out with his people. 
And Jeremiah says that time is coming. And then in the books of Ezekiel, Obadiah, and Lamentation, we see the fall of Jerusalem. We see the fall of, of Zion, the city of God. And it's, I, I just read through Lamentations last night, and it is so dark. It is so bereft, seemingly completely absent of hope. As you, as you hear, as you read the depiction of, of the city, of, of women lying in, in, in pieces in the gutters, of being beaten and humiliated and exposed, of, being, of all the treatment that the, the people of God have, have endured because of the wickedness. As you read this, it, it's just absolutely horrifying. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, a question is asked. In the middle of it, there's a question. I think it's maybe, maybe the most important question that comes out of the entire story. The question is, who is able to heal us? We have been victimized. We have been brutalized. We have been murdered. We have been befouled. We have, been, we have endured more than anyone should have to. And the question on their lips is, who can heal us? And I want to make, make one point before I move on. The question is, who asks the question? And I want to give you an answer. It is not the priests who ask the question. It is not those great religious people who are asking the question. Because those great religious people have starved to death. Lamentation tells us that. It's not the priests who are asking who can heal us. They've starved to death. It's not the leaders who are asking who can heal us. The, the kings and the princes have all been led off in chains. It isn't those strong, mighty men. It isn't those mighty young warriors who are asking who can heal us because the mighty warriors, those mighty defenders of Israel, those Krav Maga experts, they've been crushed like a grape under the heel of Babylon. No. The ones who ask the question are the widows, are the mothers who have lost their children. They're the ones who cry out, who is able to heal us? Their beauty has been stripped away. Their pride has been taken from them. But there is great strength left in them. Hear me. When God's word speaks about women, when God's word speaks about widows, it is Always that there is strength and beauty in widows and in women. And the women cried out, who is able to heal us? In the book of Daniel and Esther, we see that God is faithful. That God is faithful for those that were taken into captivity. That God brings great things for them. That Daniel is exalted. That Daniel is lifted up. He faces trial in the lion's den. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, face trial in the, in the fiery furnace. But that God provides for them. That God carries them through. That as they are faithful, he is faithful. In the book of Esther, we see one who stands up as a representative for her people. And God is faithful to care for his people. In the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, we see that Jerusalem is rebuilt and her people are returned. And then in the book of Malachi, after a thousand years of seeing the price of rebellion, over a thousand years they have been seeing this cycle. The people are back. The city is back. Things should be great. Yet in the book of Malachi, we see that even after a thousand years of understanding that faithfulness in God's people brings good things and wickedness in God's people brings bad things, even after a thousand years, the people are blaming God. The people are rejecting him. The people are turning back to their wickedness. And Malachi cries out, 
that there's something's got to be different, that there's got to be something else. And he says that in spite of the rebellion of people, that hope is coming. And if if you ever get if you ever read through the book of Malachi, beautiful things happens at the end of the book of Malachi. You turn the page from Malachi and you start this book called Matthew. And when you read through Matthew, you see that God is faithful. You see that God is faithful in the person of Jesus Christ. You see that Jesus is the hope that Malachi was looking for. That Jesus is the rock of Zion. That Jesus is the Zion that is the temple that's destroyed and rebuilt. You see that, that Jesus is the one that when they ask who is able to heal us, that Jesus says, I am. Amen. Jesus is the one who answers that cry. That Jesus is the one who, who is able to stave off calamity. That Jesus is the one that gives us reason not to fear. That Jesus is the faithful husband to the bride. That Jesus is, is the one who can heal all things. That Jesus is that great lover, greater than the Song of Solomon. That Jesus is uh, the one who shows us steadfast love. That Jesus is the one that came out of that union of Ruth and Boaz, greater than David. That Jesus is the ultimate king. The king that the greatest king that Israel knows would bow to him and say, My Lord, Jesus is him. We see that Jesus is the son. The son that was prayed for, that was offered up as a sacrifice, that was given away. We see that Jesus is the answer for all all of the unfaithfulness of God's people. That in Jesus, that the wrath of God was satisfied so that in Christ, that our sinfulness and their sinfulness and all sinfulness is taken upon His shoulders and that He paid the price for it so that when God looks at us, that He sees a son, that He sees His child. We live in a time where it seems like there are a lot of bad things going on around us. We see, it seems like there are wars and rumors of wars all over the place. When we look at this situation with Israel and Gaza, and let me just say this, when we look at this situation with Israel and Gaza, um, the thing that Israel needs, and the thing that Gaza, I'm going to get political, um, the thing that Israel needs and the thing that the, the Hamas and Gaza need is not bullets, for their guns. It's not American guns. It's not American money. It's not American political support. It isn't a brokered peace agreement by our political forces. You cannot have peace in the promised land without the Prince of Peace. The thing that they need is the thing that we need, and that's Jesus. I said this week that I've never seen someone in a situation so dire that Jesus wasn't still their greatest need. And it's true for them, and it's true for you, and it's true for me. That we need Jesus. The answer for our unfaithfulness is Him. This morning, I wanted to, to tell you a story of God's faithfulness. And when we were getting ready, we got a little carried away. We wanted to tell you all the stories of God's faithfulness. There are a few more left in there. Um, they're, they're good. You should, you should read it all. In fact, you should read it all this week. Um, but God is faithful to us. And nowhere is his faithfulness to us seen more clearly than in his sending of the Son. Nowhere do we see God's faithfulness exhibited better than in Jesus.
Thank you for listening to Pathlight. I hope that this message has been a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to others.